Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, a podcast for government and public sector marketing professionals who want to level up their digital marketing and social media knowledge, skills, and strategic thinking. And now, welcome your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello, and welcome to episode 66 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. How can government and public sector agencies get high engagement on social media that is both proactive and positive? Believe it or not, the public viewing your social media are there for information that resonates with them in some way, that informs them of topics that are meaningful to their lives right now, and then they have an expectation that you will provide answers to their questions. So if your social media campaigns are simply sound bites or catchphrases without a follow-through of long-form, purposeful and explainer content, then I'm afraid you're going to underwhelm and underperform. Coming up in the show, the real power brokers of social media are people, a recipe for social media success for public sector campaigns, and I interview Femke Gao from the University of Oxford, an experienced communications professional. We discuss the role of citizen-first content in your social media campaigns and why moving from organisation need to public need is a shift that may be harder than you think. In today's column, I'm talking about power brokering on social media. In my view, the power online has shifted from big corporates and state and church into the hands of citizens. Real people with real needs, having real conversations and giving you feedback. More than ever, their voice has been amplified through their smartphones with the democratization of the internet and the ability to access information through the palm of their hands. They're also connecting with like-minded people and creating communities whereby they can share experiences, find solutions, and also give out perhaps about agencies that they feel aren't looking after their needs in a way that they should be. So how do you navigate social media when people are the big power brokers? Well, in the first instance, I think it's having an awareness of it and understanding that when you step out on social media, you're going to meet your citizens and they're going to want to have a direct conversation with you. So you have to be prepared for it. I was having a conversation recently with a government agency and they were very nervous about being engaging with the public online and really leaning into comments. And their argument was, well, if we put ourselves out there, we're going to become a magnet for criticism. I guess my answer to that fear is that it's inevitable that you are going to get criticized. But an actual fact in Embracing that criticism and finding answers to the public's questions or even clarifying misconceptions and indeed misinformation, then you are just leveling up your level of transparency and that will lead to better trust. Trust is in real danger at the moment. We're come, we've come out of the pandemic. Governments have by and large, performed well. Uh, citizens um, trusted them and they really took their advice throughout the pandemic. And I can say this from, from an Irish perspective with great confidence. However, in the post-pandemic world, the expectation for real-time information is there. 
and it has grown through the pandemic. So if you're not willing to engage with the public, have those real-time conversations, then you really have to ask yourself, why are you using social media? And if it's merely a broadcast tool, then I think you need to reassess your communications plan. Social media isn't going anywhere. It is evolving at such a rapid pace that I think it's its speed of transformation is has a danger of leaving the public sector further behind. And that is not where you want to be. So constantly iterating, testing and learning and realizing and understanding that when you are online, especially on social media, and you want them to hear you, to listen to you and to act on your information, then you have to realize that their weight online matters. And of course, never forget, mainstream media are also listening to the public voice. And so with all of that said, go back to the drawing board, have a look at where people sit within your communications plan. And if they're not at the center, then you need to revisit it. Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code SOCIALMEDIA20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In today's consulting segment, I'm going to share with you a recipe for social media success. All of this hinges on the fact that you hopefully will have a social media strategy. But here are eight steps that you can employ in order to ensure that your social media campaigns succeed online. First of all, the goals need to align with the public need. Yes, I'll say that again. Your social media campaign goals need to align with a public need. I'm making the assumption that these goals will also align with an organizational need, but we are putting the public front and center of your campaign when you're setting out your campaign objectives. Secondly, you have to then decipher and establish the key performance indicators or the KPIs that help you understand how to measure success for this social media campaign. Too often, agencies and team members might say, oh, well, we want to reach as many people as possible. But is that meaningful? Will that result in better trust and the public taking action? I would like you to go deeper and using the framework of awareness, engagement, and then calls to action conversion. And then another layer on top of that is advocacy and the public sharing your campaign information. Thirdly, it's time to build out your content pillars and your messaging and your lines to take. So when you're engaged in a campaign, you'll have key messaging, but it's really important to go into the detail of subtopics. And how I do this with my clients is I ask them questions. I go back into Joanne, the broadcast journalist role, and I seek out answers to the questions that I am anticipating that the public are going to ask. Or the other side of that is I pull out the FNCs, you know, my frequent nasty comments model that I talk about in chapter eight of my book, Public Sector Marketing Pro. And with all of this questioning and deep diving into trying to get to the heart of the information, this helps us to build out our messaging for the campaign. 
when you're clear on your messages that you want to put out, I would definitely then go and do some keyword research. We don't have to second guess the public and we should never assume what they want to know. And we have an opportunity to find out exactly what they're searching for on social and on search. And that's where we deploy our keyword research tactics. Go and use a tool like Keywords Everywhere. It's a Chrome extension and put your campaign messages into Google and into YouTube and they will surface the most asked questions around that topic. And then what you do is you reframe your messages and your content to reflect those search terms. Number five is get human. Do not hide behind the logo of the organization or the brand. You've got to ask yourself, who is the face and the voice of this campaign? What real human beings can we bring in? It might be citizens who've engaged with your service. It might be subject matter experts within the organization or external. You might even bring in the voice of a government minister. Number six, get creative with the content. Content format is the big buzz right now around social media. It's not just about getting the messaging right, it's about how you present the messaging. Is it in reels? Is it TikTok videos? Is it stories? Is it animation? Is it longer form episodic content? Number seven, be responsive and be willing to have a conversation. Go into this campaign with a plan of action, of moderation, of comments, of community engagement, and of getting answers in a timely manner to the public. Otherwise, I feel that you're you're underselling yourself and you are just leaving the campaign to chance, commit to conversation. And finally, as always, you've heard me say it before, review your analytics for actionable insights. What have you learned from the campaign? What issues did you not cover? What issues have arisen that you can take in to your next campaign? I hope this has been helpful. In today's episode, I want to introduce you to our brand new knowledge product, and it's called Social Media Done For You. Think of it as like social media in a box. All the tools, strategies, and policies that you would need to implement great social media within your government or public sector agency. We've just released it on our website, publicsectormarketingpros.com, and you have lifetime access. And this includes any updates that I make to the resources. So what can you expect? Well, you have a template social media strategy, you have a range of social media policies, you have a 365-day inspiration calendar for social media, you also have checklists when it comes to hashtags, social and live video, auditing of your social platforms, and you also have template graphic designs that we have created in Canva, and all of these come with tutorial videos. So if you want our social media done for you product, go ahead, check it out on our website. And really, the price is amazing. A one-stop shop digital marketing and social media resource. Join our membership academy for 12 months. Access a library of how-to videos, template strategies, and organizational policies. Monthly live coaching. Attend webinars with subject matter experts. Meet and network with public sector pros from across the world. Use the code MEMBERSHIP20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. 
In today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Femke Gao. Femke recently joined her certificate in digital crisis communications, and we had a wonderful conversation about how communications and media has changed. And we have similar backgrounds. And I just said, listen, you got to come on the show. Let's broaden this conversation and let's open this conversation to the listeners and the viewers of the Public Sector Marketing Show. So Femke is Head of Communications at Wolfson College at the University of Oxford. She's a communication strategist and leader with experience in fast-paced startup environments and in the public sector. She has particular strengths in building international relationships and she studied and worked in the UK, the Netherlands, Denmark and Australia. MK, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So listen, first of all, let's start with a little bit about you, because you've got an interesting background, not dissimilar to my own, but talk to us a little bit about your career to date. Yeah, definitely. So um, yeah, I guess similar to you, I kind of started off in journalism, um, also started off in print and then kind of gradually moved my way into digital. So I started off as an interior design journalist. Um, for a print magazine and I always kind of had that really like hard idea that I definitely only want to be a journalist only for print and then I very quickly realized that I was massively limiting my my options my opportunities um, so as I kind of got deeper into the interior design industry I yeah just kind of opened up that perspective a little bit um, and then I moved into working with a, a tech startup also in that same industry, but <clears throat> as a um, as a news editor there. Um, so that was essentially like an in-house journalistic position within a, um, a startup for kind of the trade interior design sector. Um, and then from there, I again just decided I kind of wanted to broaden my horizons one step further. Um, I had a short stint at a creative agency, which was more consumer led than trades, um, which was super interesting and I learned a lot there. Um, and then from there, I took a, a kind of another, another sidestep into public sector where I am now. Um, so I currently work for Wolfson College, um, which is part of Oxford University. Um, and I'm head of communications here. Um, so yeah, on the whole, those are all kind of very different roles, but in a way feed into each other once you get down to the nitty gritty. <laughs> you absolutely do. And again, like my career started off as a journalist and then realized, oh, this is a bit limiting and I want to do so much more. But the, the common denominator is the ability to communicate and our communication skills and Right now in the digital age, there's so much that we can do and a lot of impact that we can make. But talk to me about the sidestep from private sector into public sector. Was that different for you? Was mm. it a, bit of a, a shock? Was the comms different? Was the outputs and the goals different? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, let me just kind of echo what you were saying about this, this common thread about communication. Um, and just to add to that, I think the common thread is really people. So when we're talking about communication, we're just talking about people. It's about people talking to people about things that matter to them. And in a way, that that is kind of the same thing that happens in private sector and public sector. But I think from my experience so far, when you come into public sector, the language, the language that you use to talk around these things is very different. Um, and I think there's this really interesting 
battle I'm going to call it a battle because it's it's kind of a it's I think it's a habit that's hard to break um there seems to be this habit in public sector of talking in third person like the university does this the college does this the government does this who you know who is that who is the university who is the government essentially like whether it's private sector or public sector an organization is just a group of people working together towards a common goal so one of my one of my main things that i really work hard towards right now is helping people feel comfortable with that idea of saying i did this or you know you name the role of the person who does that um and the reason i think that's important is because it's just about people like it has to be about people for it to feel authentic and for it to really resonate with the person in the audience that you're talking to and within higher education right now is the focus more digitally led or is it a, a hybrid traditional plus digital or how would you describe it at the moment um i would say it's definitely working towards digital i think it's a little bit behind the times and I, I don't think that would come as a shock to anyone listening who also works in that sector um and i think also because these organizations are so historic there's a lot of stuff that and again that's kind of why i called it a battle because you have to take so many steps back to find you know however they set up a certain process in the first place to then try to take a step forward and say okay this is how we need to do it now and these are just such historical processes and ways of doing things that don't naturally lend themselves to digital communications um, or digital platforms, but you know it's it's part and parcel. I think we just have, like all industries are obviously going in that direction. That's not news. And and one of the specific disciplines within comms in public sector is crisis comms and digital crisis comms, and we both have a shared interest in that, right? But that is something that you kind of need to be ahead of. When mm -hmm. you're working in public sector, it's an important skill set, and you recognize that. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the main projects that I've been working on here at Wilson College is to decarbonize the the entire main estate of the building, um, so to completely eliminate carbon emissions. And I think our case is a particularly unique and tricky one because um, basically we started this project because we won a government grant last summer, which is specifically um, allocated to help decarbonize the public sector. But the conditions of the grant were such that we had to spend the money within a period of eight months, which is an extremely short time frame for what is an enormous project that, that's still happening. It's still, it's still ongoing, but essentially now we've finished the first phase of it. Um, so the main challenge for us at that at that time when we first won the grant was that we then had to start the project like the next day. It was like, here's the money, get going. <laughs> but obviously it takes a lot longer to properly plan what well, plan the project itself, but also plan all of the supporting communications around that project. And you can't really plan all the communications unless you know exactly what's happening in that project. So the communications in this particular case kind of came as a little bit of an afterthought and I mean not you know not really out of choice it's just kind of that's how it happened and that's how quickly we had to move but the repercussions of that were huge so again also I think this is a unique a unique case because we're working on um, we're working on accommodation right we're working on where people live and where people study and where people need 
a stable, calm environment. And we're coming in saying, right, we're going to rip out your windows. <laughs> we're going to start resealing this. We're going to start, you know, there's, it, it's, it was essentially a construction site that people still had to live in. And the main feeling was obviously that we didn't communicate that with them. Um, They're obviously aware of the project, but things were just not communicated well enough. Um, which then created this essentially a crisis really and it turned into a communications crisis because that was that was really at the heart of the problem so we then just had to act quickly and try and rectify that which is not really how your communication should be done um but we did we did do that but i would also say that even now there is still a process of gaining back that trust because the communication wasn't there in the first place and i think that just really really shows how important that is and even like in COVID, for example, like especially in this environment where you're used to people being able to be there in person and you have this very physical community, that was kind of, you know, re removed a little bit. It started to break down during COVID. So that also breaks the trust down a little bit. So trust was already kind of down here. And then that happened with this decarbonization project. So the last few months really have been this process of just building up that trust again. And that's a very, very valid and genuine feeling from, from our community that really needs to be listened to. Yeah, communications can prevent a crisis, but it can also then help resolve a crisis. And I always say, don't waste a good crisis. And the learnings from that, even in, in you sharing that, are huge and can be taken into to the next project. So. While people understand that they're going to be uh, discommoded, if they get that early warning and that clear understanding, well, how much am I going to be disrupted? Then, then they might go with you. And it seems so simple, but as you say, it often can can be an oversight. Um, and so, yeah, I'm always championing the communications professionals because I believe they are the key people in any organization. Let's talk about then how, how communications then can really impact um, minority voices in particular and the NGO sector. And I know you're planning for a, a getaway to, to Kenya this summer. Tell us about that. Mm. Yeah, so this is a, a super interesting project that I've worked on within the last year or so. Um, and so I'll, I'll start from the beginning. So when I first started working uh, with this organization, which is called Digital Lions, they're a, um, so they're a fair, the world's first fair trade digital creative agency in the world. So obviously fair trade, people always think about chocolates, coffee, bananas, things like that. Um, so Digital Lines is the first kind of non-physical product to join, to join that group and to get that accreditation. Um, and the, the reason for that is because, so the, the project as a whole is really about bringing digital work opportunities to people in remote places. Um, which is an incredible thing because people in remote places are often reliant on, you know, things like agriculture and the things that are really there and close by for their employment opportunities and for their income. Um, so to then to suddenly open up the entire world of digital work is, is a huge thing. Um, but having said that, even though there are so many benefits and opportunities to that kind of gig economy digital sector, there are also huge downfalls to it. And people who work in that sector are at risk of, um, you know, low wages, poor working conditions, irregular hours, just unstable work in general. 
So in order to actually make the most of those opportunities, it needs some kind of governing body to regulate the behavior and the practices in that industry, which is where fair trade can come in. So now that organization, Digital Alliance, runs according to fair trade principles, which is amazing and could be kind of copy and pasted across the entire sector. So it's a great starting point. Um, and basically my work for them, uh, it was around this time, yeah, last summer actually, I uh, I was the campaign lead on announcing that new accreditation. And something that was really interesting was basically talking, you know, how how do we how do we announce this? How do we talk about it? What is interesting within this space? And I think something that just isn't talked about enough actually is the risks in that industry. So we we did this um, social media and email campaign that basically highlighted all of the risks and then posed all of the potential reworks that you could do to try and combat those risks. So it was a very um, education-driven campaign. Uh, so that was last summer. And now I'm going over in a couple of weeks, actually, to for, for a few different projects, I think. So one of those will be to basically train somebody up to do the work that I was doing last summer, because obviously it's not ideal that they should have to rely on volunteers doing that work for them. Um, so the idea was always that I would go over at some point and train somebody up. So that's one thing. Um, Another branch to this organization that they're, that they're just introducing, actually, is this kind of digital nomad scheme, which is super, super interesting. So they, they obviously have, so this is uh, based in northwest Kenya, um, off the shores of Lake Takana, which is this huge, huge, beautiful lake. Um, but other than the lake, it's essentially a desert. <laughs> um, but they do have, they have accommodation there by this IT campus. So it's a completely self-sufficient IT campus. Um, and what they want to do is open up this accommodation and invite digital nomads to come and stay there and work there and obviously pay rent for this accommodation. Um, and also when digital nomads come or even when volunteers come and stay there and work there, it also sets a really, really good example to um, the locals who are going through their kind of IT digital training there to see how people work in that digital economy in practice. So to literally see people coming from another country to this country, but they can still keep up their work. Like that's kind of amazing to, to be able to show them that. Um, so I'm basically working on, uh, yeah, like what the introduction of that branch to the business looks like on the website, on social media, et cetera. Um, and there's a, a couple of other couple of other bits and bobs, but it's all still in the works. So isn't it remarkable how your career to date has had so many turns um, mm. and now how you're bringing those skills into other industries. But again, you know, common denominator being comms and people, but also we have digital in there. Digital is providing opportunities for, you know, other countries, other regions, but also you have the opportunity to to get more people skilled up, the world needs more uh, reputable and skilled digital communicators. Because, mm. we, yeah, that's kind of my vision. I can't do it all. I need public sector to be able to communicate in the public interest to protect truth and protect democracies. But right across all industries and indeed in the NGO sector, this is empowerment. Because there are real opportunities here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that's really interesting as well on this topic of 
um, truth in the digital space. I think you have you have two sides of that coin, really. You have truth on the side of the the organization, the brand, the NGO, whatever it is. But then you also have truth on the audience side, the consumer, whatever you want to call them. Um, people at the end of the day. So people people have that craving for truth and information and education right now. And this is where I think for both of us, that kind of journalistic background is quite interesting because what I see everywhere is people essentially just becoming their own journalists. Mm -hmm. And the journalistic technique really that I'm talking about is this kind of investigative idea of seeing something out there in the world that doesn't quite sit right with you or you don't believe it for some reason and you just hone in on it a little bit you start asking questions um, and you just confront things and then because content creation is so accessible people then just start writing their own things about it and that's essentially what a journalist does they see things out there that either make them think something or you know whatever and then they go and write something about it so I think you have this idea of like truth seeking and truth telling on both sides of that coin. Yeah. And, you know, who owns news anymore? I mean, news is a commodity owned by anyone willing to create it. Like I'm creating news with this podcast, mm -hmm. you know, and then I'm building an audience and I'm saying, well, here, this is my truth. This is MK's truth. This is all our truth. And the lines have got really, really blurred. And I think this is why teaching digital comms with that uh, context of journalism, check your sources, check them twice, and check them a third time, and mm -hmm. make sure you are the proponent of truth. That's so important because I've had so many conversations with so many people in different sectors, and there's still this fear of going on the internet and having a really good digital footprint because there's fear of, you know, a crisis or the mm -hmm. of somebody giving them negative feedback. And I'm like, well, this is inevitable. We'll all get negative feedback. How do we take fear out in favor of truth? I'm mm. still trying to get answers to that one. Yeah, I think I think that's incredibly difficult because I think people are so angry about this idea of not being told the truth and that propels them to go and find the truth themselves. But then, of course, not like everybody can't be an expert in every area that they're interested in. And I think people are trying, like people who really care are trying to be an expert in the things that matter to them. But at the end of the day, that is a long and arduous process. And it, along the way, you will probably make mistakes and say the wrong thing, say something that's not true. And that's how you then get this culture of disinformation. Um, and that's, I think, also taking a slightly optimistic stance in assuming that people are doing that with good intentions, because obviously there are a lot of people spreading disinformation with bad intentions. But yeah, as always, there are, there are two sides to every coin, I think. So how do you bring your colleagues with you and, you know, really encourage them to embrace digital comms? Um, I think as, as with anything, this is just always a bit of a theme with me. Just, just talk to people, you know, like if somebody doesn't understand, you know, something about an, an area of social media, like a new platform or a new feature on it, um, and they're maybe not receptive to your idea, it's not because it's a bad idea and it's not because they think you're rubbish. It's most likely because they don't understand. Maybe they're scared to ask the question. So the way I bring people along is really just to show them, you know, sit down and show them and do it you know, kind of show the, the fun side of it and the good side of it. 
And I think if you just do that in a language that makes sense to people, and by that I just mean simple, clear, accessible language, then most people will get on board with what you're talking about. And also just always making the time to listen to people because you know everybody has something valuable to say. And even if they're not an expert in your field, you can still learn something from them and apply that to the area that you're working in. Um, so that's that's always my approach. And I think, again, where I work now is quite interesting because we have such a range of ages of people working at the college. And that really matters, actually, in this conversation of digital channels and tools, because not everybody is as au fait with all of them as everybody else is. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really just about talking to people about it and educating and doing it in a kind of inclusive way. Well, I want to wish you the best on your travels to Kenya. Will you keep us updated on the project, I think it's really fascinating. And perhaps they want to come on the podcast. You might have a word with them when you when you speak to them because we love to share what the great work that they're doing and the uniqueness of the project and what their ambitions are and we'll try help spread the word. Yeah, definitely. That sounds great. It is, it's a super exciting project. So I'm excited to be there. I'm excited for whatever comes next with them. I think it's a great place. Well, safe travels. And thank you so much for joining us on the Public Sector Marketing Show. Thank you. Thanks so much, John. Level up your digital skills by taking our Diploma in Digital Marketing, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code DIGITALMARKETING20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. This is your weekly reminder that we have many free resources on our website for you to digest. If you haven't worked with us, that's okay. You don't have to. We lead with value at the Public Sector Marketing Institute, and we have a load of free resources for public sector pros to consume and to watch in your own time. So I'm reminding you that we have a full library of on-demand webinars that we produced during Q1, Q2, and a bit of Q3 of 2022. They are all there for you now to watch back. You can watch them on your own in your own time, or you can take a team together from your comms department and you can discuss what I have been sharing. This has been episode 66. Can you believe that we have produced so many episodes over the past year and a half? I am really enjoying it and I'm intending to keep going with them. But if you also enjoyed the show and you are an avid listener, please, please encourage one other public sector pro to tune in. Just get your favorite episode, get the link and share it on WhatsApp or share it on Messenger or Teams or an email and say, hey, this is an episode of the show that I think you'd enjoy. And finally, my ask is do leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. This is a niche podcast. We're never going to have global domination. But what we do have is we have domination of niche expert topics in government and public sector marketing. And that's a, a position that we own and one that I'm very proud to own in this sector. So yeah, subscribe to YouTube as well and give us the love on your favorite podcast platform. I will see you on episode 67. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. This episode has ended, but your digital journey can continue. Head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com to access resources and links mentioned in today's show and to connect with Joanne and her team. Until the next time, be sure to subscribe, rate and review on your favorite podcast platform.